0: hello fellow innovators this is Patrick Emmons and this is Shelley Nelson welcome to the innovation and the digital enterprise podcast where we interview successful visionaries and leaders giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations
1: today we're welcoming larry berlin to the show larry is very involved with the chicagoland community he's a mentor at the university of chicago booth school of business and the cfo of freedom fries larry has been working with the university of chicago booth school of business for over six years and loves working with the students freedom fries is a startup that has built a news aggregator and is working to improve the search for and gathering of information on the internet Larry's background is in investment banking, venture capital, and financial analysis. Very diverse and impressive background. Looking forward to having you on the show today, Larry.
0: Welcome to the show, Larry. Thank you. Looking forward to it. So, Larry, you've done quite a bit. I know you're on quite a few boards. I know you've got a lot to talk about, but I, I got to start off with uh, talking about your latest venture, Freespoke, and why you needed to start a new search engine.
2: Sure. we, My colleagues and I, Look, started talking about this a few years ago, and we saw a little bit of the future with some vision, which is shocking in itself. And said that what's going to happen is that people in search engine industry, in social media, in internet, is going to consolidate down to you know three or four or five companies, which it has: Apple, Meta, Amazon, Elon Musk's company, Twitter, and a few others. And they're going to control so much, and the people are going to object to that, and the people are going to look for alternatives. And they also will look for government regulation. And government regulation isn't the way to go in our minds because they'll never get it right, even if just explaining a search engine to an 85-year-old senator doesn't work, and yet, let alone asking him to regulate it. So we said, well, let's start our own. So we sat down. We said, let's start a search engine. We picked a name, Freedom Fries. It didn't user test well, so we went with Freespoke, and we have created a search engine and a news aggregator where we clearly show left, right, and center. We provide articles from all three sides and let you trust you to make up your own mind, Mm. see what the different opinions are of an issue. And then with that, we've created shop USA for people to shop American goods. And we've created the search engine and the search engine looks like Google in some ways, and it allows you to go through and you could search for anything from Donald Trump's latest escapade to pizza in Kalamazoo um, with our search engine. Admittedly, we depend upon outside technology for the pizza in Kalamazoo because we can't index that.
0: (laughs) Get hungry first. How good is the pizza in Kalamazoo? I'm curious. I hope
2: it's good because I keep using it as an example. (laughs) (laughs) Got to
0: be improving by the comment.
2: Yeah, we could pick the Upper East Side, but that'll just be rays, raise, and raise that shows up. <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: that's awesome. Uh so what made you start that? I understand you know, where where you think it fits, but was there something uh, personally that you were frustrated with?
2: I would say a couple of things that were frustrating to us. One was when you did searches, and a lot of times you just wouldn't get the search for what you wanted. If you go to Google, you get six ads and four paid searches and then you get what you want you could be searching for something simple like biggest cathedral in london and instead of getting westminster abbey or saint paul's you'll get ads for 10 religions mm. probably a bad example but it's what one i chose we want something better if you're searching in a real world for gdp and you want to know if this month's gdp announcement was good or bad you know how do you find that If you go to the news, if you go to Fox, you're going to get one point of view. If you go to MSNBC, you're going to get another point of view. And they're both political. And I want an economist who could tell me that GDP was good this month or bad this month or inflation or ice cream on the street corner. I want the expert to tell me. Hmm. So we said, let's do it. We wanted to provide a free market challenge rather than government. And I'd say lastly, and it's not the motivator, it's obviously the third thing I'll mention, but, you know, hopefully we can make a little bit of money off of it. We are entrepreneurs and we are venture capitalists and we are capitalists. So we hope we can make a little bit of money. That's
0: awesome. I know one of your, uh, your other ventures that you own and operate is uh, Blue Point Consulting Services. I know you've got a long history of helping elevate and help uh, other entrepreneurs, other venture cap- other capitalists, other you know growth-minded individuals achieve their business outcomes. And I, I know the, the pitch decks and strategic advice is some of the things that you provide folks like that. What is one of the hardest things of doing a startup? What do you, from your experience, right? You've been doing this for a long time on a lot of boards. You know, a lot of people have done this. What is what is your perspective on the hardest part of, of doing a startup?
2: Excluding the fundraise, which is always the hardest part. And it's really management. And it's always management be able to express a vision clearly, concisely, to attract investors, to build the product then, and to get employees, co-workers, not employees, to help them bring it to market. And then you have to, again, explain it to the consumer. I mean, someone's going to buy your product, whether it's meant to sell to United Airlines or Boeing or to you and me out on the street corner. You have to convince the consumer sell to them and you have to speak their language. And it's very, very hard to do that and put it all together into one mindset. So the leadership is the hardest thing. I heard selling a lot. And maybe that's just
0: hearing it through my ears, but selling it to other people, selling it to investors, selling it to to the people you're going to hire and bring on your team. And then of course selling to the people who are going to
2: take dollars out of their pockets and put it in yours. Yeah. Selling is huge. Um, selling is a big function into any business. And as I said, you know, I was a stock analyst before this at first analysis and I covered 20 companies at most. And I had to sell my own me as a product and say my research and what I can say is more valuable than anyone else's. So it's sale of me. It was the most important thing ever you find me a job where you're not selling yourself or selling something at some point, if you're working as a cashier at McDonald's, you're still selling not hamburgers, but you're selling yourself to get promoted and get a raise. And the same thing, if you're the CEO of Disney, you're selling yourself. The CEO just resigned. So he didn't do a very good job of it. You're selling to the consumer, but you're selling yourself. And it's very important. Incident with a startup, when you start, and people do this, is the hardest thing with students. They have so much to say, and I don't need to know all that. The CFO of Pepsi once said to us during COVID, that tell us what we need to know, not what you want to tell me. And getting a student or an experienced entrepreneur to tell us what we need to know and not what they I want to say or they want to say is the hardest task um, that we face. Because from there, as you point out with Blue Point Advisory, once I get that, I can build. I can build the financial model. I can do a ratio like lifetime value to customer acquisition cost or LTV to CAC, which is a very important ratio. I can see what the balance sheet looks like. I can go and say, I need $5 million and I'll give you X percent of the company for that $5 million, on and on and on for just before I even have a product. And just to break down
0: the LTV to CAC, is that lifetime value to cost of acquisition costs? Yes. Or customer acquisition costs?
2: Yes, it is. And you want it to be as big a multiple as possible.
0: (laughs) So the longer you have the client, the longer lifetime value, right? Versus the lower cost to acquire is is what you're looking for.
2: When you can take it, I'll use a good example as you look, you can't see it, but on bicycles a bicycle is a two thousand or three thousand dollar expense for a good bike but I'm a one-time customer and I'll be back for five years for another bicycle maybe that's not as valuable in many ways as someone's going to come in and spend 200 bucks a month for those five years and you know and then there's all kinds of products where you just you're a one-time user I buy a house once in my life maybe twice my real estate agent always has to resell mm-hmm this is true at a startup. This is true. You know, I have a company that's making smoothies. They want return customers. My own company, FreeSpoke, we want return visitors. It's very important to me. Very interesting. And a one-time visitor is not worth much. And it's reflected in the valuation of the company as well as in my revenue. Well, you mentioned before the person at McDonald's working, the
0: register, is selling obviously for their own career. But they do a really critical, important sales behavior, right? The expansion sale, right? Yes. Do you want fries with that?
2: Yes. Well, that's what the whole cash register is for. When you walk out of Jewel or Dominic's or Safeway or wherever someone's listening to this, you look on the right and the left, it's not just candy or magazines anymore. It's certainly not magazines anymore. There's other things which they want you to purchase, and they place it there on purpose so that you, they can upsell you or sell you more. And face it, when you go online, how many times you go to Amazon and buy a book and it says to you, the person who bought the biography of Abe Lincoln also wants the biography of Ulysses S. Grant. It's an upsell. yeah. But learning how to do that correctly is important for companies no matter what their business is. Yeah, because the customer acquisition cost on
0: that upsell, cross-sell, expansion sale is zero, right? So if I could sell you another 50 cents in fries. That cost me five cents to make,
2: right? Exactly. That's the money maker. it's my cost is the employee trying to sell it to me, and again, I'll, I'll correct myself. Employees are what we're used to using, but it's your colleague or your coworker who's trying to sell it to you. And every single person's a coworker, whether it's the guy selling me French fries or the CEO. So, what is the difference from your perspective
0: between when you meet entrepreneurs and and starting first time founders and and that type of? are some of the characteristics that you think is is I know it's it's they come in all shapes and sizes, but is there is there anything where you see a pattern of like uh this person I feel like is going to be successful regardless of the product, right? Everything given a long enough time frame is gonna at some point work. It just can you
2: last? I gotta quote a line from Star Wars of all things when Han Solo turns to the Wookiee and says, Fly casual with a foot the dust star. It's a similar line. What's fly casual? <laughs> it's going to be somebody who knows how to pursue her or his interest, but is also flexible enough to deal with what the market and what advisors present and knows when to shoe off the advisor because it's very easy to get a lot of advice that's worthless. Just come to my classroom and you'll see all this <laughs> give you an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> <And, laughs> Six of us will give you eight opinions, of which seven are going to be worthless, but you have to figure out which one's a worthwhile opinion. And by the way, all are good opinions. It's just that one, only one's going to really, really apply to you. And you have to figure that out, but you have to have the ability to stick to it. If you're going to I'll go back to the smoothie example, if you're going to sell smoothies in buildings, a lot of things are going to happen to you. A lot of things, frustrations are going to happen. It could be your CFO quitting at the wrong moment. It could be your top sales guy quitting at the wrong moment. It could be, you know, the machine not working right and putting too much banana in that apple smoothie and things like that. You have to deal with it all. And you have to be flexible, but you have to be able to be strong in your view. And it's very hard. It takes more than just a 40-minute interview. And that's why due diligence at a good venture capital firm or other firms in the field um, is very important. I'm Having dinner with that person And spending two or three hours and hearing how they approach other things in a casual conversation is really important. Hmm. So someone approaches, like if you need an analytical um, CEO, someone who loves baseball and loves baseball statistics, that's a good start. Somebody who hates baseball, you know, that's not necessarily a good start for me anyhow. (laughs) But (laughs) that's what my favorite sport is. So (laughs) Soccer. Yeah, I've been watching it this month, but <laughs> <laughs> Portugal won big today, so. <laughs> wow. But it's very those things are important and characteristics of the individual, but then from there, we honestly will look at things like, what's my customer acquisition cost? What's my product market fit? I saw a company once, and I, well, I don't even remember their name, but they had a product to, do electronic gear shifting on a bicycle. I get to use bikes a second time today. Um, it was a $400 piece of equipment, and it was aimed at the mass market where the average bicycle is $400. Hmm. Who is going to spend $400 on a piece of equipment when they're spending $400 on a bike? And then when you get to the fancy bike riders who are spending you know six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars $800,000, will they actually want a gear shift helper? The answer is no. They had no per market for that product. Nice product but no market for it. Hmm. You see that all the time. You see it in restaurants that stay open and close within a month. You know, you open up a Chinese restaurant in a wrong neighborhood, it's not going to last. You open up in the right neighborhood, namely mine, (laughs) you're going to have a regular customer weekly and I'll be recurring revenue as well as my neighbors.
0: (laughs) So is there something you think founders should be doing to identify these types of gaps in in their their own thinking, right? Where it's like... uh, I have a problem, it's my problem, I think it's everybody's problem, but is it? Is there anything that you think, because I see that a lot with people who are starting up, they're absolutely convinced that this has got a market, It's it's got a, this great fit, there's a real demand, but it, they're being a little myopic, a little bit too self-focused on on the marketplace. Is there something you could do? Is that something you help people with?
2: It's something we help people with, and that goes back to Blue Point Advisory, where one of the things we do work with is helping people build their competitive grid. It's helping understand what other people have done in the space. One of the funny things people, entrepreneurs say all the time is, oh, I don't have competition. Yes, you do. <laughs> well, don't you want competition? <laughs> Always. It saves you establishing and educating the market if you have competition. Google built a search engine. Whoever comes next after Google, search engines are huge. But Google followed on Netscape. Well, Larry, I don't know if you've heard of this
0: Freespoke search engine. You might want to check it out. I might check out Freespoke.
2: We are building upon what Google did. Yeah. If I had to convince everyone they needed a search engine, everybody would say, oh, this is great. Yeah, we could use a search engine, but get them to adopt. Now 100% of the internet users use a search engine. And I don't have to do it because Google's already done that for me. So good point, Patrick. (laughs) There is a new company called Freespoke. (laughs) But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you do have to do corporate you do have to do the research you have to look at the product in the market you have to look and see will people will it work I have a good friend she's got two products her first product were sticky socks she put hospital tape on the bottom of socks for people doing yoga because if you do yoga and you wear socks your feet are going to slide around the floor and it's not going to work if you go barefoot your feet are going to stick to the floor and that's not going to work Hmm. She put hospital tape or whatever on the bottom. You know, the company made good money. They're sold to Walmarts and Walgreens around the world and QVC. And now someone else owns the business. Nice. Her new product, and Shelly will find this one useful. I won't. People who have high heels, their feet slide to the bottom of the heel, So their toes hurt after they wear a pump for a long time. She has a little piece, and I'm going to forget the name of it, that sticks in this shoe so that your foot stays, the sole of your foot, so your foot stays in the same place. Hmm. She discovered this because she had the need, and then she went out and did the market research and asked a hundred other women, what drives you nuts about the shoes? And they all said, my toes hurt at the end of the evening.
1: I would buy that in a minute.
2: Yeah, I'll send you the name, Shelly.
1: Olivia
0: <laughs> <laughs> will appreciate the added sales. This person seems very frictionful. She's got tape on the bottom. She's right. Just wherever she can create static. Yeah. I'm trying to work a joke into this somehow. I'm I getting... know.
2: There's one there somewhere. It's somewhere. We'll just shoot her, shoot I can tell you the joke, but if she listens to this, it'll be not as funny. She created this. And one day she was running across the street in heels and she fell and slipped and she actually did break something. Wow. <laughs> she actually broke her arm. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And. I tease her about that because of all the things and all that should happen. The person who invented the heel savers should not have fallen running across the street. But she ended up okay and she's done well with the business. And it's something to be proud of. When we were in business school, she wanted to do roller furling screens. Everyone had screen windows. People don't have screen windows in big high rises. And she wanted to do ones that unroll and roll up. And I think it's a great idea. Another friend of mine, a great idea. And he wanted to do doorbell answering machines 25 years ago. Hmm. Um, Now we have them.
0: Yeah, I mean, we people
2: do. I call my cell phone and I have my doorbell answering machine. <laughs> that is crazy. I never thought about it that way, but yeah, it's a doorbell answering machine. <laughs> doorbell answering machine. Well, I tease him because he went on to get active in the sports business. And Shelly will know what I'm talking about. And when we were in college, he sold coffee to the students at Regenstein Library at the University of Chicago. His job was to get people to drink as much as they could so they can make money. Now owning a sports franchise, his job is to get people to drink as much as they could so they can make money. I teased him about how when he was 18, he figured out what he wants to do and he stuck with it.
0: Ironically, I was looking for old style gear right before this phone call. so
2: <laughs> I could find you something. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to find
0: old style at the stadium now that there's one place it and is it was, was kind of it was yeah not to make it negative here but yeah it's like the old style was it was hard to come by um w- one thought that i had when you were talking about the socks and the and the table all i could think of is like how come there aren't like swiffer slippers right like Think about it. You could clean your floor while walking around the house if you had like Swiffers on the bottom of your slippers, right?
2: <laughs> I do that with my socks. <laughs> well, and
0: see, if if you got kids in hockey, right, they could sit there and like practice all day. You know, skating, <laughs> skating in the you know, hey, go Swiffer the kitchen and get some laps in.
1: You got a new business, <laughs> Patrick.
0: That's right. I'm quitting what I'm doing today. That's it. I, we cannot. Yeah. we cannot get this podcast out until I've got that secured.
2: <laughs> that would be good. I know you might go. I always use. I've learned not to use white socks for that, but to go to colored socks. Smart. because <laughs> so, so Then I'd have to develop a new bleach and sell that out to get those socks white again.
1: <laughs> 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 so, Larry, I'm just curious. When you founded Freespoke, did you use the same? methodology or guardrails that that you, um, you know, teach these other folks? Or were there any surprises that you didn't expect, you know, given your long history and experience in this space?
2: Always a surprise. Um, it doesn't matter what the business is and what the day of the business is. You're always surprised by something. We try and use similar guardrails. Um, what's our customer acquisition, a lifetime value to customer acquisition cost? How do we get returning customers? what do we do for the products that they will return? What's the financing? And how do we get ourselves set up for the next financing? How do we get ourselves set up so we have a good multiple when some year we might want to exit? Um, We don't plan on that right now, but it could happen. And we would like to get there. And so we use the same guardrails, I think for hiring and fire, we haven't had to fire anyone, but hiring, It's very important to figure out how to hire someone correctly. And those guardrails are set up and marketing and simple things. I've gone on too long and so my answer to your call for what I would do in a business situation. Saying it in five words, 10 words is useful because people tune out and you have to say things with a sense of humor and a laugh also. But even then people tune out. So So we do use the same thing. And then every day, show would answer, there's always something, you know. And as I said at the beginning of the call, we thought Freedom Fries would be a great name. Turns out it wasn't. (laughs) You know, we weren't surprised. Mm -hmm. So at all. And we were surprised at that point. And then all the things that have popped up, you know, whether it's software, when you're programming, things always happen. But user patterns, you know, they surprise us all the time. So so we do focus groups, too, to see what our customers want and what they're thinking. And they love Google. Focus groups love Google. But they also get frustrated by it. And it's where does that line of frustration come in? And we have to test really carefully for it, much more carefully than I ever would have thought Hmm. coming up. So there's much to do. And you know what? To get us to be a successful product, there's still much, much, much more work. I go from this call to meetings for that. So and tomorrow we'll have meetings on how to make it t- take the next step. So for next year.
0: One of the things I, I hear through all of this is for do you, for somebody to be a successful startup entrepreneur, one, you, you can't be completely married to your idea. It seems like you're constantly testing your assumptions.
2: Yeah, always. Well, I'll give you the extreme example. Smart food who makes popcorns, popcorn. hmm um, her name was Heather, and I don't remember her last name. It was a case study when I was in business school. Their original product actually was um, Ziploc bags that held freshness. Mm. To test that, they used popcorn as a testing product, discovered they had a popcorn recipe that people loved, and went to sell smart foods. Now, that's the extreme example, but all the time, it's what can I do? What little tweak do I need? And go back to the smoothie You discover that people all hate bananas. I I love bananas. I love bananas. Not to have any banana people mad at me or the banana (laughs) splits. (laughs) But um, if people hate bananas, you, you tweak your products. There's no more bananas. Or you could find out that every other type of flavor lasts two weeks and bananas only last one week. Well, you can't do that. I have a company that actually, you see it on cars, to electronify a credit card and put a CVV code that's flexible, if you do it by putting an electronic chip in, that card will only last a year and a half, but credit cards go three years before they're replaced. No bank wants to pay to replace a credit card every year and a half. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't work that way. You have to find a different way of sending out a temporary CVV code for the credit card. Mm -hmm. One of the companies we've advised at Blue Point does that. And they do not use electronics. They use basically a smartphone, and they send you a three-digit code. But you learn it. And you always have to test. You always have to morph it. You always have to everything. You always have to morph and make sure because you're going to find new things in the market. And then again, I'll go back to the competitive grid. Someone who you hadn't thought about, some student in Portland, Oregon, is going to come up with some great idea that competes with you and is far better than your idea, and you better figure out how to deal with it. That's why you want to either yourself or hire us to keep an eye on your competitive peer group. Someone has ideas all the time and it could be GM and it could be Tesla and it could be someone small.
0: It is. It's something I see all the time. People say they did look, but you could tell they weren't really looking to find it. If there's actual competitor, it's like, I looked out my front window. I didn't see anyone on the lawn. So nobody's doing this.
2: Yeah. I'll uh, try to double mail. You would think that the U.S. Postal Service had no competitors. I mean, they had the monopoly going door to door to door. Well, then FedEx arose, but then the Internet arose. The best competitor to mail is the Internet. And I mean, I send a stamp a month, if maybe if that. I like to send postcards still when I go on the road. So I buy stamps for that but I haven't paid a bill physically in five years. No. And I haven't sent Christmas cards in five years. Things like that. USPS did have a monopoly, but that monopoly was easily wreckable. That's not the word I was looking for, but wreckable pretty fast. Yeah.
0: It is interesting. Some of that is coming back on the distribution side where Amazon's with the, the way that they've gotten more intelligent about how to like even leverage FedEx or UPS to USPS or right, let them do that last mile, right? So it's it's interesting. And to your point is it was one, and then it was really more the FedEx UPSs. And now there seems to be a synergy that seems to be uh, possible with all of those different, just because the demand and the efficiencies being created are just so high. And then the, the bottleneck of the person actually walking to the door, Right, that that yeah. last mile is is really uh, like with so many things. It's that last mile of of delivery that is the real challenge. Besides the fact that Amazon will put stuff in my garage, yes, right, which is a little off putting. I'm of that age where it's like, should I let somebody have access to my garage? That seems not safe, but uh, I still do it.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I live in a, in a condo building. There's 12 units here, and they put it in the front door, and someone brings it in, and but yeah, and yeah, it's an interesting thing. And you see it all the time. The next, And who knows what the next generation is. gonna all say they'll have drones. But who's going to load up the drone with the product?
0: Totally.
2: Right? You know, will the mailman then be able to stand some street corner and load up six drones or one drone and just fly to everybody's house? Who knows? Yeah. And it's, it still might be easier for the mailman to walk from door to door to door or the male woman.
0: I want to know who's going to be the Pinkertons in this story when the Emmons kids are like just shooting drones out of the sky to figure out what they're going to get.
2: You <laughs> yeah. know, because
0: uh, at some point, somebody would have to ride check shotgun on that thing. Because, uh,
2: uh, well, as so we sit here in December, Santa has a monopoly on delivering <laughs> gifts. What if Santa consider the North Pole, have a beer or a rum, and just send drones everywhere?
0: <laughs> I, I mean, he's, he's a, you know, he's an innovator. You know, he's He's, always thinking. He's an innovator. I know we've only got a couple minutes left, uh, but I know we talked a little bit about the New Venture Challenge at at, uh, U of C. uh,
2: And I think you've been involved in that for quite a while, correct? Yeah. Um, I started as a judge and a mentor probably 25 years ago now. And I hate to admit I'm that old. And then about six years ago, this is my seventh year participating, so seven years ago now, Steve Kaplan, who's really the, the brainchild behind it, asked me if I would come join them and be a full-time, a full-time mentor means this job in the spring. But it's a wonderful thing. I work with all 30 teams that get accepted into the program every year. And we have wonderful ideas, wonderful students. And I'll call them kids, but they're 30 years old or so. And you will get ideas from the two most popular ones, three now, are Grubhub, which came from us. Um, Venmo Braintree came from us. And if you're in Chicago and you go to Foxtrot for the high-end convenience stores, those were our students. Oh, nice. The smoothie company I referred to. Um, I have a short-term real estate company that were students of mine two years ago. The team that won this year is gonna help detect oral cancer. Wow. For for it'll cost five hundred dollars to ten thousand, and not be invasive. And you get wonderful ideas from wonderful students like that. A lot of which have made gone on to succeed, and then make money for the founder, and for the investor, and of course for the employees or coworkers who are with them. It's a it's an honor to work with the students. It's an honor to work with Steve and Mark and Moose and Mike and the other people on our team, and. I look forward to it every year, and I hope they'll keep me on for a long time. So,
1: well, Larry, you've been a tremendous mentor to so many people. Um, but curious, you know who's who's been a mentor to you over the years?
2: Oh, you know, that's a good one. I would probably begin with my grandfather. <laughs> so he he was a pharmacist. He came from Minsk when he was thirteen years old in nineteen oh seven, and he was. Always, every day, I think of my grandpa, and he is a mentor. Um, I had other teachers, Mr. Coyne, when I was in seventh and eighth grade, who passed away in the mid-80s from AIDS, of all horrible things. And he's always been a mentor. And I think, you know, and then we get to, like, the University of Chicago. I went to New Chair High School, New Chair East then. I had some wonderful teachers. So there's a theme here. My dad was a teacher. My grandpa should have been a teacher. I'm a teacher. Um, People who have something to teach me. And it could be anyone on the street. It could be the lady who used to beg me for money from the train station every day, who I always gave money to, who taught me a lot. To last week, I was in London sitting with um, people who are members of the House of Lords talking about British history. And all of them could be mentors in some way shape or form but it's someone i can learn
0: from when you're talking about the english history you reminded them that uh, we're one oh and one with them right that, uh, of course of course <laughs> yes we tied
2: them this year did, right so. <laughs> so that's the one but we're <laughs> one oh and one with them but i was a history major as i said and you know i had a spectacular mr weintrump mr larkin other professors mr zonas was not a history professor I um, mean, notice I still call him Mr. Mm-hmm. And they, they laugh. Mr. Applebaum, who's my high school chemistry and physics teacher. His name is Robert Bob, and he's still around. And he always gives me grief because I insist on calling him Mr. Applebaum. <laughs> and, <laughs> but he went to the University of Chicago. And when I had to pick a college, he and Mr. Dickman, who had both gone to the University of Chicago, were huge influences. My dad had gone and other friends of my family had gone there but those two were the convincing factor of you better go to the University of Chicago. And here I am, chairman of my reunion committee for my, I won't even say what year, I can't believe it (laughs) that far (laughs) (laughs) along. But it's support. And influences, you know, as a mentor, we take it seriously. For these students, a lot of them, they all need a mentor. They may not know it now. They may not know it till 20 years from now but we need a mentor and we need somebody who can say, hey, by the way, that's the stupidest idea I ever heard. But you have to be able to say it with a straight face in a non-threatening way, you know, and then say at the same time, there's a great idea, run with it. And one of the problems with venture capital, every month we had a meeting, we looked at investments. A lot of the guys, my doubt was to look at the guy who's an entrepreneur and say to the entrepreneur, that's just stupid with a few expletives attached and make the person feel bad. Well, the person should never feel bad. Even if the idea is stupid, yeah. you can't just say that. You have to be able to say, hey, why don't we look at this a different way? Or even more, why don't you think about it this way? So it's their idea, not my idea. It's much more valuable and it's their idea than mine. And it's a very important portion of all my jobs, whether it's CFO at Freespoke or mentoring at the University of Chicago or certainly at Blue Point Advisory Services. My colleague is even better than I am at it. She can sit there and say to somebody, hey, this is really a dumb idea. But they won't walk away thinking that, oh, yeah, she just said this is a really dumb idea. But it's so important to deal with human beings. Yeah. It's the one thing that comes to everything beyond teachers, and they're probably tied together. Human beings are the single most important factor in all our lives and all aspects of it. And in entrepreneurship, absolutely. Well said. That sounds like a pretty good education. Yeah, I think the University of Chicago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I I know we could go on for literally more days, and I wish we could, but uh, we're we're gonna bring this one to a close. Hopefully, uh, we can have you back on uh, again because I really think you have tremendous experience. Uh, you've done some really amazing things, and I think it's it's a it's really grateful that you're able to take this time and share some of your experience and and your perspective with with our listeners. So. Uh, just want to say thanks again
1: yeah thank you Larry
0: thank you for having me we can meet at Wrigley
2: Field for a beer
0: (laughs) (laughs) we can go Harry Carey and do a recording from the right field we could do that I I can arrange that (laughs) you're a better man than I Only some days some days (laughs) yeah (laughs) so we also wanted to thank you our listeners we really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us
1: and if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you do your podcasts.